Thanks for listening to one of our messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in person and online. To find out more about our church or to connect to any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. Today we get to talk about one of my favorite, my favorite in the last probably three or four years topics. Today we talk about the idea of, of Sabbath. We're in the Ten Commandments. This is commandment number uh, five right in the middle. We're going to talk about the idea of Sabbath. I was talking to some staff this week. We did, this is one Sunday. We did a whole Sabbath series like three Januarys ago. So I said, what am I going to do this Sunday? Lock the doors and say, let's just have a slumber party, you know? I think it was three sermons. What if I just threw it on the screen, we listened to it at three times speed, and left? <laughs> they said, that's a terrible idea. Also, you should slow down at regular speed. Um, so what I want to do today is talk about why I think a foreign concept of Sabbath in, in some of our perceptions is still really good for us. I want to bridge the gap between why God prescribed it for his people and, and why it might have a place in our people today. But before we dive into scriptures, if you're new to CBC, maybe you've been here a lot, we, we, we come to the scriptures with an open-mindedness about what God wants to teach us. We come recognizing that the culture we live in is critical. I've seen it this week. Even on good days, it's a very critical culture. And normally that happens because we have insecurities and we need to feel better about ourselves. And so we take out our criticalness on others at the expense of others. But this morning we come here recognizing that God is near and he's going to teach us something. He's going to show us more of his goodness and his beauty. We have phrased, we say the, the move of the spirit is inward to conviction, not outward to critique. This morning, our job as we come together in open scripture is to ask the simple, beautiful question, Holy Spirit, how are you showing me more of God today? That's it. And so we're going to start just by praying. We're going to pray that the spirit might speak to you. I'll let you say a prayer if you're so inclined. And then pray for me that, that I might show us more of the goodness of God through Sabbath today. So join me. God, it's so good to be here this morning to recenter our perception and our perspective around the thing that's worthy of our worship. Holy Spirit, today, show us more of the goodness of God. Show us more of why you're worthy of worship. Show us more of how you created us to function and flourish in your world. If you're comfortable, just take a, a few seconds and say a silent prayer and just ask the Holy Spirit this morning to speak to your spirit, to reveal God to you. And I ask you to pray for me. I might do <clears throat> uh, just a good job showing us all that God is worthy of worship this morning and why he talked about Sabbath in the first place. Pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. I don't know how you guys grew up and what your baggage is around the word Sabbath. For me, Sabbath was always Sunday. There was one day a year I liked more than any other, one weekend. It was, I think, the second or third weekend in June growing up. I'm going to show my age. There was a basketball tournament in downtown Dallas called Hoop It Up. 
And I played in it every year. And if, if your little team of three on three was good enough, you got to come back and play on Sunday. And I loved that because I would have never stopped playing basketball. But also, that was the only Sunday in the entire year that I was allowed to skip church, right? So I played because I love basketball, but also it was my opportunity to not wake up and go to church on Sunday morning. Sabbath meant church. It was synonymous between the two. And I think what we have to recognize is where our culture's at now and where it's come from, we have moved in culturally from this place of a high respect around the idea of Sabbath to one of a low respect of the idea around Sabbath now. For example, in the old school, like in Virginia in the 1600s and 1610s, they had these blue laws, if you know what I'm talking about. So they ena- enabled these blue laws. That's why you got to wait till noon to get your bottle of wine in Texas on Sunday. That's a whole nother conversation. They had these blue laws that basically said, we're going to treat the Sabbath differently. I'll read you one from 1610 in Virginia. It says, every man and woman will in the morning go to service and get the divine sermon preached upon the Sabbath day. And and every afternoon they'll do the same. It says, if you miss church, the pain for the first fault is to lose provision. The allowance for the whole week uh, and the following. For the second time you miss, you lose provision and you're going to be whipped And for the third time, you suffer death. We have an attendance problem in the States and churches. What if we brought this back, you know? (laughs) So so they cared about going to church so much. The Sabbath was in such high regard. They said, hey, if you skip church, you don't eat for a week. And then if you miss it again, you're going to have some physical pain inflicted upon you. It went to show the severity of what they thought was something worthy of respect. There was a, a story also... In, um, in Boston, Massachusetts, in 1656, I read about, his name's Captain Kemble. He'd been away for three years at sea, and he got thrown in the stocks for two hours because he kept, kissed his wife on the Sabbath day. They said it was unbecoming behavior, right? They very much loved and respected the idea of Sabbath. And so we, we come into the conversation today asking, what is Sabbath to us? What was Sabbath to the Jewish people and what did God mean by Sabbath in the first place? And here's what we've got to recognize, and what we're going to see today, is that it's more than just a day of the week. It, it, it's a habit and a lifestyle to be lived into. We've talked about the Ten Commandments each week. And to shy away from leaning into legalism, we talk often that we can't divorce the law of God from the story of God's people. If you do that, you don't see a good God, you see a demanding God. If you divorce the story of God from the laws he gave, you don't see the why behind the what, and then God becomes a tyrant, and not somebody that lovingly wants you to flourish in his world. You have to see the story of Israel to see the beauty of Sabbath. You have to see the story of Israel to see why this day was so revered and so good. There's a a book by a guy named Charles Doug. It's called um, The Power of Habit, Atomic Habit. And he talks about these certain kinds of habits called keystone habits. Keystone habits are those things you build into your life that have a greater impact than other things you build into your life. For example, if I miss a day of brushing my teeth, I'll feel gross, but it won't cause me to be bad at my job or a bad parent. If I miss my morning coffee, I will not be a good parent and probably not very efficient at work, you know? Most people talk about working out as a keystone habit. If you do this one habit, it has larger implications beyond the one thing into the many things. Sabbath was the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament. What God is telling his people, he's saying, this one law isn't just like all the other ones. This one law is the sign that you know me in the first place. What do we miss when we miss Sabbath? What does it tell us about who God is? 
If we reduce Sabbath to simply a church service or one day a week that's on Sunday, what have we missed about what God is trying to tell us as a people how to live in his world? And so before we dive in, let's talk about one thing. So this is actually the only commandment that's not repeated in the New Testament. So New Testament Christians, we don't live under the law of the Old Testament, the grace of the New Testament. And this is the only one not repeated. So this is what I'd say about Sabbath. There's different views on it, and some people think that we don't live under it anymore. I'd say it's a discipline, right? I'd say that if you don't live into the principle of Sabbath, it's not sin, but it's probably good for you to do it. We, de- we define spiritual discipline at crossroads like this. The spiritual disciplines are the way that we participate in the work that only God can accomplish, the work of changing hearts. So, so this conversation today, it's not like murder and it's, it's not like adultery. It's not if you do these things, you're sinning. But I think it's saying, hey, if we don't live into God's idea for Sabbath that we see, we, we might miss out on some depth of life. We, we might miss out on, on living into God's full design for our flourishing. Because he says, this is how I created the world. And so Sabbath was such a big deal in the Old Testament. Not only was it the sign of this entire covenant that he made, God said, this is the one that's going to be your keystone habits for all the other ones that you're going to keep, all the 612 other ones. It's actually the most repeated law in the Old Testament by a long stretch. It's repeated 11 times, I think, in the Pentateuch and way more than that in the rest of the Old Testament. You guys know that the Sabbath command is actually the first command given? So we start with the Ten Commandments. We say the first one is, you know, love the Lord your God. No, the first command given to his people, Sabbath, we see in Exodus 16. Before he gave the Ten Commandments, he gave them the commandment of Sabbath, of not working on one day a week. He gave them this idea that their identity is supposed to be found in their dependence on God. Some writers would say that this is the most important of all the Ten Commandments. I think the idea of Sabbath has profound implications for who we are as followers of Jesus and the story we tell others about the God that we follow. So if you go to the text in Exodus 20, it's actually found in two places. We're going to look at them both. So the Ten Commandments are seen in two different parts of the scriptures, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. And they're seen that way because if you know the story of the Bible, they were freed from Egypt, they wandered, they disobeyed, so a whole generation passed away. So Deuteronomy is the retelling of the law. So you see the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus and also in Deuteronomy. And for the most part, the Ten Commandments are the same in both places, not with this one. There's different wording, and I think they both give us insight into why it's good. We'll start in Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you will labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, it's the Sabbath uh, to the Lord your God. That idea of remember there isn't just think back when, but the idea of remembering the Hebrew there carries with it the connotation of behavior. It's like a birthday. Yesterday, my nephew had his four-year-old birthday party. When we remember birthdays, we also throw parties. Remembering causes action to ensue. When he says remember the Sabbath, it means literally don't just think about it, but might your knowing lead towards action. It says, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and the land and all that's in it, and then he rested on the seventh day. This picture that God created and then he rested after he created. And you get into this idea of of why did God rest? The scripture is pretty clear that God didn't need to rest because he was tired. He rested because he delighted in what he made. It's like if you mow your grass and it looks really good and you're not tired and you just look back and say, man, that is amazing. I mow my grass and I look at my neighbor's yard and say, man, that is amazing, you know? It's the idea that God delighted in what he made. 
So we have to ask ourselves a simple question. How do we as Americans feel about working and rest? If it's good enough for God, is it good enough for us? And this is where I think this law really hits us right in the feels as independent Western cultural icons of American work ethics. If you look at some stats, we'll throw some on the screen. If, if you look at some stats about working, we take pride in working. Americans on average work 169 hours more than the Japanese per year. On average, we work 365 hours more than the French. We work 400 more hours a year than, than anybody in the UK. And we work 435 more hours than Germans do per year. Americans have a hard time not only working, we have a hard time stopping and resting. Last year, according to a, a few different stats, last year, a total of 768 million days, vacation days, went unused in the United States. 236 million were completely forfeited, which comes out to a net loss of 65.5 billion in lost benefits. Only 55% of Americans plan to max out their vacation days this year. The United States is the only country in this one organization and economic growth uh, uh, group, which is the top 36 wealthiest countries. We're the only country that doesn't mandate paid vacation. We give it a lot, but we don't mandate it. We are a people that pride ourselves on working. I've heard it said, and it hits home, that out of all the Ten Commandments, rest is the only one that we boast about breaking. The idea that, how are you? I'm really busy. Why? Because I'm really important. <laughs> I can't afford to rest because I have too much to do. What does that say about us? What does that say about God? I love what Corey Ten Boom says, if the devil can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. John Ortberg is going to come along and say, Business isn't, busyness isn't just a disordered schedule, it's a disordered heart. I think where we start with this conversation of rest is fundamentally, is it how God designed and so what God does when he says you're going to rest is in Exodus, he founds his command to rest in the creation narrative. He founds his command to rest in the idea that he has built into the fabric of creation a rhythm of rest that's good for you and for me. The question is, do we recognize that? Do we respect that? Do we allow that to shape us? Or do we ignore it? Wayne Muller in his book on Sabbath says this. It's a long quote, but it's one of my favorites on the topic. He says, in the restlessness and the busyness of modern life, we've lost the rhythm between work and rest. All life requires a rhythm to rest. There's a rhythm in our waking activity and the body's need for sleep. There's a rhythm in the way day dissolves into night and night into morning. There's a rhythm as the active growth of spring and summer is quieted by the necessary dormancy of fall and winter. There's a tidal rhythm, a deep, eternal conversation between the land and the great sea. In our bodies, the heart perceptibly rests after each life-giving beat. The lungs rest between the exhale and the inhale. He says, we have lost our essential rhythm of rest. Let me tell you something. When we lose a rhythm that God designed for us to live into we break. I, I can quote stats for you all day long about how anything over a 55-hour work week doesn't lead to more efficiency. I can quote you studies on how you're going to think you work 70 and 80 hours a week, but you don't get more done. You just take more time away from you and your family and the things that you value. I can talk about the fact that when we go against God's design for the world, things break. It often does. 
two cultures in the last few hundred years have tried to change the seven-day work week. France and the USSR in the early 20th centuries. There was reported uh, greatly increases in France in suicide when they tried to go to a 10-day work week. In the USSR in 1920s, when they tried to break it, what they found was they, they structured the work week where nobody was off at the same time, so it was a perpetual movement of working cycle. What they found was things broke. Not just the people, but their stuff. It's why not only our bodies, but our machines need rest so that they can be built back into. I love what one theologian says, if you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. What we have to ask ourselves is if God created the world with the rhythm of rest, what happens to us if we don't also live into that rhythm? Moving ourselves away from, is it a command or not? I'm asking, is it good for us? When we rest like God rested, it shows that we know him. We don't just know about him, but we know him because we live like him. Because God created and then he rested. In that Exodus passage, it says, at the end, therefore, the Lord blessed his Sabbath day and made it holy. That word blessed there happens about 327 times in the Bible. It's a key component of how God deals with his people. That word blessed is a continuous present power that affects the future. So when you bless something, you are influencing someone, not just in the here and now, but going forward with your goodness or kindness. One theologian says that God's blessing is a bestowal of his kindness that results in success. So it says that Sabbath is not just a good rhythm for you, it's that you might be blessed. That's why God said, I blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. If you continue to read in that text, which you see seven different groups of people he commands to rest from. Anything from you and your kids and your family to your livestock, to your slaves, to the foreigners. There's seven different groups he tells to rest from, seven being the number of completion, seven being the number of rest in the creation narrative. And why that's there is not to incorporate everything in the world. It's supposed to tell you that everything needs to rest. And here's why. You're responsible for that as the head of the household. You know, you know, especially in that society, but in this time and place in the world, there's no other writing of any religious system or governmental system where rest was required. Because if you're going to build things, it's on the backs of others. This is the first time that, that any culture had said, I'm just not going to rest, but I'm going to mandate that my animals rest and my slaves rest. If you read about the impact that had culturally and societally on people, it was a grace and a kindness showed that other, uh, other religious systems and cultures hadn't shown before. One historian says, because of this, the Sabbath that's been prescribed is perhaps the greatest social revolution in the history of mankind. For the first time, God's saying, if you know me, you'll rest, and you'll make everything else rest around you. Because here's what rest is. When we rest, we rightly reflect to others that we know God. It's not just about do you need it or do you think it's good. You do, and yes. But when we rest, we rightly reflect to those in our sphere of influence that we just don't know the story of God, but we know God because we look like him, because he rested and so do we. If we refuse to rest, I have to ask the question, do we really want to look like God? because it's good enough for him. And it seemingly is the way that he created our world to flourish and function. One author says, it says the Sabbath command, with it's called to imitation, plays on a hidden irony. 
We mimic God in order to remember that we're not God. In fact, that's a good definition of Sabbath, imitating God so that we stop trying to be God. So, so fundamentally, what we see in Exodus is this command to stop and take breaks, to cease from work. Why? Because God says, this is how I designed the world to work and function and flourish. And also, it's something you mirror to other people because we were supposed to show others the goodness of God with how we led, with how we managed our world, with how we rightly lived so that people see a beautiful picture of a God that cares. That's Genesis 1. And so God says, you're going to rest and it's going to be a blessed thing because I did. But then skip to Deuteronomy 5 with me. Deuteronomy 5 is the other time that we see this text. It says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. I'll read the full context of it, starting in verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded. Six days you'll labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You won't do any work on it, neither you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, your ox, your donkey, any of your animals, your foreigners residing in your houses, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Verse 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord God brought you out of there with his mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So we have another why behind the what in the Deuteronomy narrative. It's not just that it's good for you because you need it, because this is God's design element in the world. This is a rhythm that he programmed into how we're supposed to live in his world. But he says, you're going to rest because when you do, you remember that you were slaves and now you're not slaves anymore. Delin hit it a couple weeks ago but it takes only a couple generations for people to believe something about themselves that might be holistically untrue. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. You know how many days off they got? Zero. They were slaves. Every day they woke up and worked. Every single day, their value and their identity was derived and driven by what they produced for somebody else. Every single day for 400 years, they were defined by what they put out for others. They were defined by how much they could work. They were defined by what they produced. And the first thing God does, before he says, I'm your God, you're not going to worship anybody else before me. The first thing he does is say to this group of about a million and a half slaves for 400 years, you're going to stop working. And that's how we're going to go forward in this relationship, you and me. How profoundly impactful would it be for somebody to tell you after you've worked your entire life that our relationship isn't defined by the work that you give me anymore? They were slaves for 400 years and that was their identity. And God comes in and says, no, no, this is my sign for all of this covenant. Not just that you work, but that you don't. And this is going to define you it's a hard thing. When I led youth years and years ago, my favorite retreat, which we still do to this day, is Pine Cove No Agenda, you know? So we'd go to this, this place in the woods and we would have literally no agenda. And I remember trying to explain this to other youth pastors that were there. They'd come to me and say, hey, how big's your group? And, and what do you need from us? And we'd say, nothing. And they'd say, hey, what time are your gatherings and who's your speaker? And I'd say, no. And they'd say, well, when are you guys going to get together and do it? And I'd say, we're not. And they'd look at me so confused, like, how is the Holy Spirit going to work without an agenda, you know? And, and I'd say, yeah, this is called no agenda. And they said, yeah, what does that mean? I said, no agenda 
It was a really foreign concept to these youth pastors, right? Then how's the Holy Spirit going to fall without the altar, altar call? You know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and they look at it and say, well, we just don't understand it. And I'd say, look, we live in a really busy, really, really fast-paced, really compact world, especially for high school kids. Sometimes we just need to stop and recognize and recognize that in a culture of meritocracy, God doesn't define us by what we produce to. And I think that's Israel's battle, and I know it's mine. I think it's Israel's struggle, and I think it's ours as Americans as well. He looked at people that were slaves for 400 years and says, this is why Sabbath is good for you. You're going to learn. You're going to learn that I delivered you and you had nothing to do with it. And one day a week, you're going to sit in that truth. One day a week, you're going to be reminded that my identity and my desire for you is not rooted in what you can do for me. One pastor says, we have been called out of the world trying to prove its worth and value by what it does or possess. We are deeply loved by God for who we are, not for what we do. The rhythm of Sabbath fundamentally fights against our culture of meritocracy and reminds us of a gospel of grace. We need it. So what does Sabbath do for us? It fights this culture of control that we think we have. Because deep down, I think as Americans especially, I feel like we think we can control more things than we actually can. You know that? We feel like if we just do the right thing and be the right people and live in the right place, that life will end like we want it to. There's a study put out by Harvard a few years ago, and it's called the placebo of control. And what they did was they looked at buttons. They looked at buttons that you think work in this world that don't actually work in this world. Like, for example, I'm a big fan of New York City. In New York City, none of the walking buttons do anything anymore. It hasn't been that way since about 1998. The study actually also said the other cities where walk buttons don't do anything are Dallas, Boston, and Seattle. At Highland Village, there's no walk buttons because SUVs that'll mow you over. But in the big cities, you push this button, this little green man comes, you're like, I did that. You did not do that. They put that button there just to make you feel important. I love another one this article talks about is, you know what other buttons don't really do anything? Elevator door close buttons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. So it, it looked at the study and actually there's quotes from the Elevator Association of America. I don't know if that's what it's called, but it's something like that. And, and they say, yeah, there is actually since the 1990 Disability Act, there's a limit on how quickly a door can close. And you can't mess that up. That button is there for firefighters that have a key to override the code. Now, on a tangent, he says, but it kind of depends on your organization. Some organizations ignore that. I tested the, the doors at Crossroads. We ignore that. So um, <laughs> I want you to know it very much closes the door. But it says that, hey, most elevator buttons in public places don't actually close the door. And this was my favorite. You know what else is a placebo button in a lot of places? Thermostats and hotel rooms. <laughs> yeah. It actually talked about how in many businesses and hotel rooms that there's actually placebo thermostats that don't do anything. You just feel like it does something. I'm going to quote a, uh, uh, one of the guys that created it. He talked about the idea that he said, if a non-functioning placebo thermostat or limited functioning thermostat is installed, just having the, opinion, uh, the option to manipulate it can affect one's perception. So what they're saying is you can push a button and feel better about yourself. And like, I'm sweating less. No, you're not, you know? We, in this culture, have built up this culture of control. And I think why this matters when it comes to the idea of Sabbath is stopping from working or contributing does two things. 
It reminds us of my identity in Jesus. It's what he did for me, not what I do for him. Big deal. But two, it makes us come face to face with the reality that we can't control as much as we think we can, and that's difficult. It makes me grapple with my mortality in the middle of God's bigness. It forces me to admit there are places and spaces in this world that I can't affect and that this world will go on long after me and existed long before me. It forces me to deal with my smallness in God's big world. And we built up this culture that's all about what we can control and how we can control it. When we stop working, we recognize fundamentally that this world doesn't exist because I do work. I love what one writer says. What happens when we stop working and controlling nature? We don't operate machines or pick up flowers or pluck fish from the sea. When we cease interfering in the world, we're acknowledging that it's God's world. Why is Sabbath necessary for us? It's good for you. It's how God designed the world to work. It reminds you of your identity in Jesus, but also it shows us that this is God's world, not ours. The rhythm of Sabbath fights a culture of control and reminds us of God's position and our place in his created world. And isn't that the struggle from the beginning? That, that we tried to take over control from a good God and say, let's see how this goes, and it has not gone well. Sabbath reminds us that God's in control and we're not. And sometimes, sometimes those moments happen anyway. The pandemic's one of those good moments, and people start asking questions like, man, I thought I had more in line than I did. I thought my life was more in order. I thought things were more unshakable than they really, really are. What Sabbath does is in those moments that are hard, that are big, that show us what we can actually control, it gives us confidence in the God who's in control. So, When we talk about this commandment, the commandment about Sabbath, I think it's a much bigger conversation than just take some time off and go to church on Sunday. I think it's integral for our identity. I think it's integral for our ability to trust in God. I think it's integral that others might know that we actually know God. Sabbath is a sign, not just that Sunday is good. Sabbath is a sign that we know God and that we trust God. It's a sign of not just imitation, but liberation of what God is going to do. It's a keystone habit that reminds us that we can trust a good God, that we know a good God, and that things aren't over with yet. Because ultimately what Sabbath points to is the beauty of Jesus that gives us final rest. Sabbath's a reminder that God created us and that God frees us. So when we we live into Sabbath, it tells a much bigger story than just, I go to church on Sunday mornings. It tells us a story about who we are in Jesus, but how we can actually know God and how he's worthy of our trust. So Sabbath is an integral part of the Ten Commandments because it informs who we are, not just what we do. And, and, and what drives us is what defines us. What we do comes out of who we think we are. Sabbath is a perpetual reminder of that every single week. And this is what it comes back to, the word remember at the beginning of that because God knows that we forget far too easily. I do. I'm a pastor, and I forget far too easily about how good God is. I'm a pastor, and I forget far too easily about what I can control and what I can't control. I'm a pastor, and I forget far too easily that God doesn't love me because I gave a good sermon, because attendance is growing, or because fill in the blank, because we built 70 bicycles in a couple weeks for foster kids. I forget that my identity in Jesus is rooted in Jesus and nothing else. Sabbath reminds me of that. And and as I live that out, I get to show that to other people. So, 
What does Sabbath look like for you? <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> just to be honest with you. I think this is the beauty of these kind of conversations. Is there conversations that are fluid? When we talk about disciplines, so often, so, so often, we want to live into disciplines and we start with the end and at the beginning. I've learned this the hard way now, circling the earth for 38 years. Sometimes I will, I'll stop working out for like six months or eight months or two years, I blame my kids. I'll stop working out and then I'll start working out again. And I will pick up two years later with where I left off when I was 18 and playing varsity football. You know what I'm talking about? And then you know what happens? I can't move for a week and a half, all right? When we talk about discipline, so often we dive into the deep end and say, this is where I'm going to be, but we forget that's not where we are. We forget the grace in the middle of that. So what does Sabbath look like? I think it looks like asking the question, what does rest look like for me? One, am I good at it? Two, do I value it? Three, why not? And so as we take away this idea of Sabbath, I think a couple things are, are paramount in this. One, Sabbath should be a place of delight for you. I'd ask the question, what gives you joy? What gives you joy? And you might say, my biggest sucker of joy in my life, mine would be laundry. So don't do laundry one day of the week, right? Take a break. What gives you joy? And, and I'd ask that question. Is it walks with family? Is it, is it being around people you love? Is it cooking? Sabbath should reflect and delight in God's creation all around you. What gives you joy? I think we live in a culture that far too easily rests without thinking about resting. We don't do intentional rest. It's really easy to throw something on the TV and just sit there and be like, look, I rested for an hour. I think God-given rest takes time and effort. I think it takes preparation. So I'd ask, how do you rest well and delight in God's creation? And two, the kind of rest you do matters. One rabbi says that if you work with your hands, Sabbath with your mind. If you work with your mind, Sabbath with your hands. This beautiful idea that rest looks differently for different people based on what you do for a living. If, if, I, if rest for me was reading more theology books, that is work for me. I need to mow the lawn more, you know? So I'd say that, that whatever Sabbath looks like, it's one, do you value it? And, and is it intentional too? Is it ultimately restful, not just the lack of work, but the lack of work intentionally to build back into your soul? And three, I think spiritual rest has to have connotations of spirituality to it. It means that you can't rest and not recognize that God is good. So it might look like coming to church on a Sunday morning. It might not. I hope it does. <laughs> it might look like worshiping with friends and neighbors. It might look like Bible studies and books. I, I don't know. You have to ask the question, what does rest look like? And why do I fight it? And so today, as we live into God's identity of us, we ask the simple question, how are we at resting? And how does the way that we rest tell the story of, show the picture of God? Another really influential rabbi named Abraham Hirsch he said, Sabbath is an eternity-uttering day. Because ultimately what this does is it shows us that God doesn't define us by us. It, it gives us an opportunity to actually live into God's good world and maybe repair and build into relationship with others. But ultimately what Sabbath does is it shows the world around us the goodness of God. That one day, that one day, we will only rest in God's goodness all the time. It shows the world around us that Jesus is the answer to the hardship in life. And sometimes right here, right now, and ultimately forever, it shows people the goodness of God in a world that cries out for it. I read a stat this week that they said that about 50% of, of churches are closing right now, but more people than ever believe in God in this country. And more than that, believe in a higher power. The idea 
that we have done a bad job of showing that God is beautiful and good, Sabbath does that. And in a world that runs so fast, maybe it's the job of Christians to slow down and show others that God is good and that we don't have to. Maybe it's our job as we rest to point to the goodness and the sufficiency of Christ in a culture that only tries to contribute. And so we end today with communion because communion is the sign of what Jesus did for us. Communion as followers of Jesus shows us that we're defined by his sacrifice. Communion shows us that we can rest in his goodness. And we can just sit there and say, I am delivered because of who God is and what he did. Communion is a sign of rest for us as followers of Christ. And so on the night that Jesus died, he took some bread and he took some wine and he said, this is what I'm going to do for you. My body's going to break. I'm going to work so you don't have to. My blood's going to be shed. I'm going to be in pain so that one day you don't have to be. It's a promise of the rest we have now in God and what is to come. And so in just a second, I'm going to pray and we have tables all over. Um, You can pick whichever one you want to go to and go whenever you want. There might be a good bit of waiting this morning. And you know what? If you can't wait a little bit after a sermon on rest, we have some deep-seated issues. So soak it in and realize that God is good and realize that as we rest, we tell the story of God's goodness, not um, our identity based on merit, but his based on Jesus' actions. We take the elements at the table and we remember about how God defines us. We remember that as we rest well, as we Sabbath, it shows people that we know and trust a God who delivers. Let me pray for us and we'll take the table together. God, I'm thankful that you've called us to, that you've called us to a rhythm of rest in our lives. I need it. I'm not very good at it yet, but I'm hoping to get better. And as I do, I, I more rightly reflect you to people who need to see you and it deepens my trust in you. So God, today, as we have a conversation about Sabbath, as we ask some questions about what it might mean for our people, Holy Spirit, show us where we need to rest so that we might trust more. Show us where we need to rest so that people might see you more. Show us the beauty of Sabbath all over again. Holy Spirit, be with us as we take communion this morning. And might you meet us where we're at to show us the goodness of God that we know to be true. We pray these things in his name. Amen.